how's this look? Do I stay right here? Uh, Louder? Yeah, you're better at the beginning than you are at the end. That's interesting. I'm not moving my head. I know, but you trail off naturally. Hello. Live for the Mundangerous Small Chamber in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 151 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about playing neutral evil characters. But first the rogue traders upgrade their guns in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Littlefinger betrays you, then turns around and betrays you again in the Character Creation Forge. So this is episode 151, and I feel like there's an obligatory Bacardi joke in there. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, um, let's just pour a little bit over the top of this whole episode and light the whole thing on fire. Oh, or we'll just drink too much of it up front, and this will be a really short episode because we passed out. There's no such thing as a small enough amount of 151 <laughs> not to pass out. <laughs> Correct. Uh, let's just move on. It Actually, comes with a sieve on the bottle. <laughs> And a lighter. Um, so uh, just a reminder, the Gen Con panel that I'm joining with um, Michael and Victoria, Introduction to DMing, uh, Thursday morning, 9 a.m., is still available. There are like 31 tickets remaining um, out of like 150. So uh, if you're interested in that, there is a link in the show notes. And oh my God, episode 156, which is our third anniversary is coming up and we've got something big although i don't think we've actually figured out what it is yet eh, so it'll be big it'll be huge it'll oh, be the best 156 oh. episode ever <laughs> that we've ever had right <laughs> all right shane speaking of unfulfilled promises where are we in the dynasty unwarranted campaign so the dynasty unwarranted campaign is our warhammer 40k rogue trader game played using dark heresy second edition rules by fantasy flight games and on the Dead World Mileage Act, the rogue traders and their two best companies of armsmen have located the Verza House, an ancient obsidian fortress once occupied by the fallen dark angel, Lord Cypher. Now occupied by us, and some dead armsmen, and mutant heretics. And a nearly dead seneschal. Oh, yeah. Uh, Trix did get burnt literally to a crisp. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he is just barely clinging to life. There is a, a large force of... Uh, enemies descending upon the Verza house uh, that shot him to bits and he has requested of your heretic slash Medicaid doc to get him back in the fight he does not want to miss this uh, yeah so Trix is basically on the verge of death and yet he feels perfectly fit he feels like he could take on the world an entire army. Why is that, Shane? Because Trix is full of Dark Eldar combat drugs. Ah, more than usual. Yeah, well, he doesn't actually use drugs very often, but uh, when Doc mixes them up, he keeps a, a large number of tonics and tinctures on his person for just this occasion, right? Experimental things and whatever, um, all aimed at getting the blind able to see and fight, apparently. Yeah, I'm also pretty sure he doesn't um, autoclave his syringes. No. So there's always just a little bit of Dark Eldar combat drug in all the needles. Right. Eh, what are you going to do? Uh, you know, cost of doing business. 
So anyway, yeah, he uh, jabs that straight in Trix's uh, jugular and gets him back out there. Like, literally by the grace of the Emperor or whatever terrible thing in the void that Doc truly worships. Uh, science. <clears throat> Somehow, Doc gets him back in the fight. Uh, so Trix rises and is is basically ready to go. He has blind sense. Um, you know, he is seeing with powers from beyond. Wait, but- why isn't he seeing with his eyes? Because <laughs> they were burnt to a crisp, and I believe they... Uh, <laughs> I believe they boiled and exploded in his skull. Mm, they probably did, uh, you know, 1d5 damage to someone within three meters of him. <laughs> if you recall, before this whole situation happened, Echo had just realized that your maps are wrong because they're uh, incomplete or they're an incomplete representation in time. So there were things on the map that represented pieces of the house had, that had not yet been explored. So you guys have that problem. You have a strong inkling that that is what you need to do. Like, everyone has this feeling, like, kind of drawing you towards these unexplored sections of the house. And you also have this massive assault that is bearing down. So what do you do? Uh, We split up, of course. Naturally. Yeah. These smart people go look for stuff. Yeah. So Trix, Flare, and Echo, uh, they go explore deeper into the house. They grab a couple squads of armsmen with them to help. And they go. The rest of you, namely you and Doc, uh, Trank and Doc, now are charged with manning the ramparts, organizing the defenses, and repelling this attack. Because whatever it is that's drawing them into the house must have some reason. Yeah, we are tasked with doing the thing that we're both good at, which is killing people. Right. And, you know, stabbing your own men to keep them in the fight. They count as people sometimes. (laughs) So... Trank spots artillery and siege engines, and the uh, the rain from above begins. Uh, the shelling starts, and they're just advancing steadily under this artillery barrage, and there's not a whole lot you can do, so you batten down the, ha- the hatches, and you hunker in for a fight. Yeah, it kind of works the same way at the table, which is everyone waits while Shane rolls behind his hand for a while. That's not true. <laughs> he rolls on the other table for a while, and we just see. I don't know. Do any of us die? <laughs> how many armsmen do we lose? Yeah, yeah. How many casements are blown open by <laughs> lucky shells? <laughs> um, how much urgency do we need down in the safe depths of the house? Yeah. How many rounds uh, does the other team have to actually find what they're looking for before we're all dead? Right. So, speaking of the other team, uh, they're advancing through dusty hallways and abandoned rooms, and they eventually happen upon what appears to be an an old armory. And it contains these gigantic, like, eight-foot-long, very heavy, ancient laslocks of this bizarre pattern you've never seen before that seem to fire, um, as you call them, hotter shots. Stronger than a hotshot lasgun. But kind of like a Lazga. Okay, okay, hold on, hold on. So these are single-shot weapons mm-hmm. that are very, very large. Yes. These are cannons. Well... <laughs> these are energy cannons. Kind of energy cannons, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're not like cannon bore, though, you know? They're just like really... They're like armor-piercing hunting rifles. <laughs> but Laz flashlights, you know? And like too big really for a normal person to carry oh yeah 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 it's like it's kind of a two-man team to really get these things firing effectively you've got to like brace it and you've got to manage the breach and reloading it's a cannon you're right (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, so when they vox the description to Trank, Trank is very happy and wishes he had gone with them instead. No, hang on. The first thing you said was dibs. Yeah, of course, they're mine. I'm going to learn how to shoot them. <laughs> So we send armsmen to ferry all the guns to bring them to the ramparts and distribute them to all the defenders. Because, you know, we don't know how these work, we don't know what they do, but we may as well point them at the enemy. Yep. And that's what you do. You get them distributed, you get them set up, and uh, you actually manage to mount some sort of counterattack on the advancing infantry. You manage to like kind of slow their advance a bit, buy some more time for the explorers, and break the... Uh, break the artillery barrage that's sort of keeping you locked in also uh, i get to shoot like giant mech lasers oh yeah <laughs> and like you know you don't even have to worry about headshotting things you just uh hit them anywhere and they just dissolve which you did actually pretty effectively you scored a few kills and then what happened trank um nothing i'm just a great shot and i roll really well is probably what happened right well, as we've established, this is kind of a two-man crew operation. Who was your crew? It was a ghost. It was Captain Severin, who's definitely dead. Captain Severin, who uh, died to the first Severin Slayer. Mm, eight years ago at this point? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's really dead. And when was the last time you saw Captain Severin? Mm, like a day or so ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In the Versa house? Yeah, when he helped me line up a headshot. Oh, yeah, this is going to be good. Mm. You know what? I'll take it. Yep. So uh, you recognize Captain Severin? He empties the breach, he loads another shot, and you continue killing the attackers. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we are continuing our series on alignment. What is this, uh, the third installment? The third installment. Yes, we're hopping around the uh, alignment square to make sure that we don't do all the interesting ones. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. We'll, we'll leave them for never. Uh, which is why this week, what alignment are we covering, Shane? Neutral evil. Ah, uh, yes. The neutralist of the evils. The, exactly. The least committed of the evils. <laughs> you know, maybe it's just the most committed to evil. The most committed to evil, right? Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm, because the entire vector is directed toward evil. All right. So let's just remind everybody uh, how alignment works, right? Or doesn't work. <laughs> right. Okay. So two axes. Law and chaos on one, good and evil on the other. If you want the whole history of alignment, go back and listen to uh, Lawful Good. Right, the first one. So within that, you know, you've got law versus chaos, you have good versus evil, uh, If you, uh, and then you also have neutral in the middle. That gives you nine alignments, ranging from lawful good to chaotic evil. So lawful uh, believes in order and duty and reliability. A lawful person understands that you can't just do whatever you want to do or society is going to fall apart. And, and this uh, holds true for lawful good, uh, lawful neutral, and lawful evil. So then chaos means you believe in personal freedom, flexibility, self-expression. Uh, you believe that mindless obedience and deference to authority crushes the, the individual spirit. Good, of course, is altruism and respect for life. It encompasses compassion. A good person goes out of their way to help other people, even if that might result in harm to themselves. And then evil, of course, is selfish. It means you inflict harm or believe in oppression. Uh, it means you will seek personal gain, even if it actively harms others. So what is neutral evil? 
It means you are in the middle of the law chaos spectrum. Uh, you're neither leaning toward heavily toward law or chaos. Uh, you either believe in a balance between the two or you just don't really care. Uh, but when it comes to good or evil, you are decidedly evil and selfish. You are an asshole. Yeah, this is the asshole alignment or uh, it's the triumph of selfishness. It's greed is good. So a neutral evil character does whatever it is that suits their personal goal. And they don't really care about the means or the morality of doing so. They don't go out of their way to make sure that other people are doing what they tell them to do. And they don't go out of their way to smash things. They just pick an objective that will help themselves and they do it to the best of their ability. Right. They also don't, as you mentioned, they also don't have any inclination towards law or chaos. So... Um, if it's helpful, they will use an existing order or a hierarchy or a law to uh, to meet their needs. If it doesn't, they'll ignore it or tear it down in order to meet their needs. So it's like, you know, I love the law whenever it's on my side. I hate the law when it's not. Right. It reminds me of somebody. I can't, yeah, think, I can't no. think of it. Uh, well, Is it you? No, I can't pardon myself. <laughs> That's, that's why, I always, that's all, why I always ask, pardon me. Look, when, when we write the bylaws <laughs> right, <laughs> for our tiny fiefdom, <laughs> I will make sure that you cannot, because that's too dangerous. Right, yeah. Um, it's, it's important to note, though, neutral evil isn't necessarily malicious or malevolent. Um, like, selfishness doesn't mean you have to just be interested in hurting things, right? Even if hurting things is the natural byproduct, you're still evil. Keep in mind that it could mean you are malicious it, or malevolent. Yeah, like you're, you know, that personal greed could involve sadism or masochism or whatever it is that you know uh, gets your jollies. Like there's there's no limit to that. It's just that it isn't required. I like to think of Gargamel from the Smurfs. He's not concerned that the Smurfs are running around free. He doesn't really care all he wants to do is kill them and eat them and turn them into gold right like one or the other doesn't really matter okay <laughs> so gargamel happened this <laughs> he's, episode he's very single-minded <laughs> sweet <laughs> could he pledge fealty to his uncle balthazar sure but does he no no nothing gets in the way so along these lines, uh, Gargamel, certainly neutral evil. Uh, you might also think of Emperor Palpatine as uh, as neutral evil. He believes in the dark side. He wants to advance the dark side, but he does not particularly care about law or chaos. Yeah, I actually really like the dark side as stand-in for evil alignment, right? Palpatine isn't interested in using the force for a particular end he uses the force he is in the dark side that is really his goal right it's becoming stronger in the dark side kind of like gordon gecko with cocaine <laughs> yeah <laughs> gordon gecko also stands in for a lot of your cyberpunk uh you know uh, corporate overlord types but um you know the idea that greed is good that i will do whatever it takes to get more money and i i don't care if it's illegal i don't care if it hurts people i don't care if i have to you know lie to my friend in order to seize their company or whatever so what are some actual reasons that a person at the table would want to play a neutral evil alignment it seems like it doesn't really play well with others um well maybe you just want to betray the party 
<laughs> and your GM is okay with that. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe you want to become the big bad evil guy, right? You want to seed the story with your own character to be the BBEG. That's certainly valid as long as uh, people are on board with that. Right. It could also be that you want a nice character arc where you start from the bottom and eventually you get to become a better person little by little. But at the beginning, you are a garbage person. Yeah. I mean, you're selfish, self-interested, perhaps um, even malicious, and you want to move to a happier, uh, brighter side of the scale. Yeah, we talked about this before. We're like, this is definitely doable if it doesn't take you all that long to get to, like, kind of neutral. And you sort of let other people know that, yes, yes, I'm getting better. Like, I'm learning from these mistakes. But for a while, like, just, I don't know, let me make some mistakes. Right. And you can wrap this in um, naivety or you can wrap it in, like, Stockholm Syndrome, something like that, where you're um, kind of seeing the light. Yeah, we've talked about uh, some people like to play the brooding loner. Fine, you know, um, but you move out of it really quickly. Like neutral evil is good for brooding lone, loner who's used to being by themselves all the time, only really cares about themselves. And when they're introduced to the party in a tavern is like, oh, why do I care about any of you? Oh, I don't. I don't actually. I'm here for this paycheck. Yeah. And then, you know, one adventure in four sessions in, you're like, oh, maybe there's something to this teamwork thing after all. <laughs> Maybe not, but maybe. <laughs> uh, I think neutral evil is also a good way to to go for like a character who's not troubled by moral quandaries. So like the the true mercenary type, right? Like, um, I'm thinking like Bronn from Game of Thrones, who like gets asked if he would kill women and children uh, without asking questions, and he says, "No, I would ask questions. How much?" Or uh, actual mercenary characters, like uh, early heroes from the Black Company series. Yeah, when they're still actually serving an evil master. But not because they love it. It's just the money. They're in it for the money. Um, Jane from Firefly, especially early on, he is solely a mercenary, right? What does mm-hmm. he want to do? He wants to sell anyone out that he needs to in order to make some money. If he can make it a little faster, great. Uh the captain knows that Jane would betray him if someone had a better offer, so he just makes sure that no one has a better offer. Right. Or uses that betrayal to his own ends, right? Because it's remarkably predictable. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so surprised that you betrayed me here. Is it like eight episodes? Uh, yeah, Jane they, betrays him like uh, three times and <laughs> twice he knows. <laughs> so if you're one of these characters, what are some reasons that you'd actually be out with other people who you know you kind of have to trust to watch your back while you're sleeping so there's really only one reason for neutral evil to adventure but it i guess it has multiple facets and that reason is it suits your purposes whatever those happen to be so if you're out for money or you're out for glory or power or um to advance the dark side or some other you know evil religion great but that's the reason you're adventuring because you want to Yeah, I think this is actually a nice option for someone who doesn't want to be too invested in the reasons that they are out adventuring, like a a player who isn't that focused on it. Uh, Maybe they don't necessarily want to be the leader of the group, right? But they're willing to tag along with someone. Maybe they have loyalty to one person. Uh, Maybe they have loyalty to the mercenary company and they just 
sort of follow orders. And you can you can play perfectly well as someone who just does whatever it takes to get the job done and you're unconcerned with the larger moral questions around what whatever actions you're asked to to undertake. Maybe other people in the group have questions about that and that's where uh, some of the interpersonal tension comes from. So let's talk about moral dilemmas. So for other alignments, moral dilemmas present quandaries. It's pretty hard to present a moral quandary to a neutral evil character because you're not attached to law and chaos and you just do whatever is most important to you at the moment, right? Yeah. Dilemmas are certainly possible. Um, This job or that job. Right, right. (laughs) This one pays more, but it's also much more dangerous. Yeah. And I like to be alive. Uh, But the morality of those decisions, yeah, it's it's much more difficult to, to bring into play unless you were sort of seeding uh, something for that character to latch onto much later. So you can still challenge, like you said, with with dilemmas of their like conflicting personality goals because characters usually have, um, you know, multiple goals or objectives or relationships or whatever. Um, so you know you can pit one against the other and make them choose. So do you take power or money, right? Yeah, if you think about a typical mercenary company, you know, everyone is motivated by money, but everyone is also motivated by something else. And and even a character who's only motivated by money, like what is it that they want the money for, right? right. It, the money is just a stand-in for some other motivation that you can put in opposition to the cash. So we've touched on this a, a bit already, but much of the opportunity for tension with your neutral evil character is going to come from their interactions with other party members. And as we've already alluded to, they they can be delicate or maybe even challenging. So you're going to want to tread lightly when you are leveraging them at a table. Yeah, you can very easily become a domineering character um, just by virtue of not caring about the things that other characters do. So how do neutral evil characters tend to interact with lawful or chaotic characters? I would say usually with a sigh. Like, oh, right, you care about that thing? Uh, especially if they're, you know, lawful evil or neutral or um, chaotic evil, right? Like you have some version of uh, similar goals, like you're probably working together because you are trying to achieve some sort of evil or selfish goal in the first place and it is methods that you probably differ on with lawful evil or chaotic evil oh wow no i i would disagree i think you could have vastly different goals with evil characters because like yours are all personal and and chaotic and new and lawful care evil characters tend to have more lawful or chaotic oriented goals right like I, I think I think neutral evil is gonna just be aloof with law and chaos, just regardless, because you know, it's it's always the means to the end, right? So like, hey, if like advancing this, you know, fascist society is super beneficial to whatever I'm trying to do, like if it's gonna get me rich quick, great, I'm all on board. You know, but like if I have to create a civil war from like a grassroots movement in order to like free these people from oppression to steal the king's gold like fine i i don't care yeah but at the the same time 
you'll probably be rolling your eyes like, oh, right, okay, we do the salute because you all really love your salutes. Well, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. right. Oh, we have to burn the whole, like the whole village, the everyone. Uh, all right, let's kill these peasants. <laughs> performative law, performative chaos. <laughs> uh, but I agree with you with like, um, you know, lawful neutral, chaotic neutral. Um, because those characters are, are really focused on the purpose of the action, right. right? As opposed to the action itself. And then when it comes to good and neutral characters, I think whatever they're doing, you're always going to just view it through that lens of your own objective. Yeah. The, the reason that you're probably working together in the first bit place is that this suits your agenda in some way, right? Like maybe the paladin is paying you. And so, okay, sure. He wants to go on a quest. Fine. We'll go on a quest. Whatever. Yeah. If I don't get paid, if I kill innocents, fine. I'll stop killing innocents. I don't care. Unless, you know, killing the innocents will get me more money, in which case I'll kill the innocents. Right. Better hope we don't mean to blackguard. Right. Or like maybe I'll try to nudge this guy into blackguard territory. Or they happen to be really rich. (laughs) I love rich paladins. (laughs) Oh, I meant rich victims. (laughs) I love rich victims, too. Um, I do think from like a from a practical standpoint of the table, it's important to to remember you don't need to antagonize those differing viewpoints because evil is just sort of the like the means that you're willing to do. It's not the objective itself. So like if it's not if doing something evil is not getting you closer to your own sort of greedy objectives, then don't bother doing it. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Neutral evil, um, we've talked before about sort of active versus passive alignment, uh, whereas, you know, passive is, is sort of like, this isn't that important to me. Um, and active is I actively pursue the alignment on my sheet, right? But if you're actively pursuing, like, just being evil, you're probably not a PC right? in most games, unless it's, you know, an evil game, which means that if you're at a table with other people, you're probably, like, passively, passively evil, and neutral which means you're kind of okay with whatever mm-hmm. you know you don't really want to rock the boat and we'll, we'll get into some potential issues with that later or like right now so what are some problems with having a neutral evil character at the table um, you want to be cautious about setting up the neutral evil character's motivations versus the motivations of other people in the party or the safety of the other people in the party or the goals, right? Because if they're truly playing a neutral evil character, they're likely going to pick the selfish option, right? So if it's, hey, sell out your party members, they'll, they would do that in character. Uh, but that's not very conducive to actually having a collaborative story that right. all of you participate in. So. You know, uh, if you're going to do that, you're probably going to want to talk to the player ahead of time to make sure there's some reason that they wouldn't or some way that it'll it'll pan out so that they can keep continuing in the game. We mentioned it at the top as a reason to play a neutral evil character, but it can easily become a pitfall uh, betrayal. So the, the problem with making betrayal work at a table is that your fun comes at the expense of the other players at the table because you get to do something by denying them. Yeah, it makes the fun zero sum, right? right? You betray them and either you get away with it and everyone else gets screwed or you don't. And like, why did you try to do that anyway? That that sucked. Right. So I think the key there is to make sure that you've got buy-in um, at least from your GM and probably from the other players um, 
if not explicitly, at least sort of implicitly. Um, you know, a, as we had in uh, the Morning Glory campaign, for example, because Bastion was neutral evil and ended up betraying the party, but in a uh, in a circumstance in which that was accepted, right, and and even frankly expected. Yeah, or is Doc going to betray the party in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? No. Who, who knows? Science can't betray you. <laughs> but Cameron's playing Doc. But you're right. <laughs> uh, the um, dramatic irony of knowing that that's probably coming at some point is kind of fun. But the trick of that is to as the evil character who's going to betray the party, you need to expect that your character will lose or get their comeuppance or no longer become a P or no longer be a PC. Yeah. Like understand that that is the end of your arc. You're probably not going to be, you know, the, the ruler of an, an entire nation. Once you've kicked everyone else out, um, that is usually the less fun option for everybody right. in aggregate. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't use your betrayal to game over, right? You can you can use your betrayal to advance the story and game over your character, but not the whole story. Unless everyone at the table really does want like PvP action. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but really it needs to be everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it's not your table. I don't know anything about your table, but I promise that's not your table. <laughs> All right, there's also issues with tone and um, tonal dissonance with neutral evil characters. Yeah, so you can run into the situation where having like this omnipresent evil character in the party ends up pitting the narrative of the party against the social contract of the game. Um, so like the, the social contract is we're PCs, we're a team, we work together, we advance the, the plot, right? But the narrative conflict is well like you can't go and do your thing where you're murdering baby seals in front of a paladin a cleric and a ranger like you can't force us to justify why you're allowed to stay in the party like that doesn't make any sense stop doing that you know you're you're now a problematic evil character instead of you know a functional evil character yeah if you do that again or maybe even if you do that once like that's it you're out Right. You know, you've already crossed the moral event horizon. It's not like uh, the chaotic neutral rogue who's like, oh, in between sessions, I go, you know, break into a couple houses and the paladin is really cross with me if he finds out. But, you know, I'm not murdering babies in their sleep. Well, I went with baby seals, but yeah, you can murder babies in your sleep seals. too. Seals is what I meant. Yeah, I'm baby murder- Navy I, seals. I'm murdering seal, baby. <laughs> that poor guy has been through enough, okay? Yeah, I, he's lonely. Heidi Klum left him. I gave him a poisonous rose, <laughs> kissed him in the face. And now he's on a grave. Anyway. Hanging out with Batman. Uh, that video is buck wild. <laughs> Yo. I accidentally watched that recently. It is, it is Ac- crazy. Yes, accidentally. Well, I... <laughs> I accidentally went to my favorites and hit play again. Right. Well, I Googled it, and then I hit play. <laughs> nice. Nice. And then and then I hit All right. repeat. <laughs> Back- Wait, so Shane, hold on. Hold on. It came up. What's Batman's alignment? Neutral evil. Yeah, I think you're right about that, actually. Anyone who would not avenge Jason Todd, neutral evil in my book. <laughs> All right. Um, so 
keep in mind neutral evil can also encompass amoral characters as well as immoral characters um either one is fine as long as that is not like becoming the recurring theme of of every single interaction that involves your character right it it can't be the entire game circling around your character's like alignment yeah it's the same issue with the chaotic neutral character who just who would jump off a bridge as likely as walk across it yeah it's like and every session can't be about us fishing you out of the river like right we'll just stop doing that so just like for that character the way you solve for this is to ensure that you keep your selfish goals aligned with the party and the gm's goals for the game so if you know that you're going to end up playing the um, unlikely heroes who save the realm from some greater evil, you know, rage of demons or dragons or giants or whatever. Like, make sure that you find a goal that keeps you moving towards that, right? Like, you got to keep the, uh, you're evil and you're greedy and you're terrible, but you really want your inheritance and that requires this kingdom to continue existing. That's right. I really like being powerful and the best way to get to level 20 is to adventure. <laughs> right. I'm out here and man, I'm getting some cool new powers. Look, and if this requires meta, a bit of metagaming or even like the whole party metagaming, like, go for it. You know, like, okay, you like your quests and you're here for vengeance. Okay, um, I'm here for, you know, me. So how is this gonna help me out? And, you know, in the fiction of the game, that's what everyone else would be doing, right? Like, oh, how do we get Jane to come along on this? We have to make it worth his while. Okay, let's let's include that. Right. And as a neutral evil character, like adhere to the fiction of the game yourself as well. I think lots of times you'll get into situations where you'll have a, a selfish character say, "Well, why would I even stay with the party? Like, uh, I'll just go adventure on my own, and I would I would get rich that way." But okay, okay, fine. yeah. But You're- okay, really, in in this game, like in Tyranny of Dragons, there is one party that is going to have like eleven million gold pieces in six months, and that is the one that is going to fight Tiamat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is level three still. Yeah, you can be in that party, or you can be an NPC. <laughs> crafting, yeah, you can make a lot of money crafting. <laughs> right, eleven gold pieces a week. Yeah, <laughs> go off find Vecna's hand. I don't care. <laughs> Along with tone, I think if you end up trying to play an actively neutral evil character, you run into the situation where you're pursuing evil, right? And that very easily turns into like this mustache twirling, like cackling evil um, that you'll often get in more like campy or old timey genres that doesn't often match up with uh, a grittier game or maybe like high fantasy you know so now suddenly you have this uh, character who is committing evil acts simply be- because they will hurt other people and blah ha 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 uh, and it doesn't align usually with uh, what other people are trying to do in the game and it comes across as kind of silly which is not usually why you pick neutral evil in the first place right so there is one more super antisocial trap to fall into with neutral evil and that is the troll lord this is where you are kind of continuing to like walk the fine line where you're constantly creating moral quandaries for the other characters and like requiring them to continue 
maintaining their alignment in dealing with you. Oh, is this the, uh, you're going to stop me? You're yeah. Stop me. Exactly. Right. I hate that character. It's, it's the one who like makes the fact that their alignment isn't the same, a challenge to every other character at the table. And it like, it slows down the game. It prevents you from engaging with the actual story. It constantly steals spotlight and it just forces other characters to either change around you or just like have to deal with you. <laughs> Right. And, and it's like it, like I said, it's super antisocial and it totally violates the social contract. But it is sort of that childish appeal of being the evil character as well. Yeah. Nobody wants to play with you. you know, and, and not to say that, like, people don't play good alignments in order to be challenged in their alignment. But, like, they want to be challenged by the plot, not by the people sitting next to them at the table every five seconds yeah even if you ended up with like a lawful stupid paladin and you're like oh we're gonna butt heads if you follow that to its natural conclusion like three sessions in one of you is gonna murder the other one and then we're done Mm -hmm. yay yeah so so make sure you're butting heads in ways that meet the plot not butt heads in ways that you know meet the rest (laughs) in the middle of your dungeon delve yeah and check in just to make sure people are still having fun even if you agreed that you want to be bickering because it wears very easily. All right, so Shane, have you ever played a neutral evil character? I mean, besides in real life? <laughs> I mean, I think depending on who you ask, some people would say that Brand was neutral evil. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't, but I could see... He wasn't on paper. <laughs> he wasn't in action either. <laughs> Maybe in the epilogue. <laughs> You've done a lot of planning. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... No, I still feel pretty good about that. Yeah. (laughs) In order to fight the greater evil of Bastion, be careful that you do not become it. I no, you know, that's the thing about fighting the greater evil is like if the only person who is harmed in this is the evil themselves, you're still good. There's no collateral damage for me fighting Bastion. What? You're forcing someone else to boil the oceans. (laughs) I'm not forcing them at all. (laughs) I'm making it remarkably impractical to resurrect him. Yeah, I suppose I've now put the the oceans in the balance. (laughs) That was a big ante, okay? (laughs) So the joke here is that Brand would imprison Bastion in a grain of salt and then dissolve it in an ocean so that you would have to literally boil the ocean to reconstitute the uh the crystal in order to resurrect him might work we'll see might work all right but yes have you ever actually played a neutral evil character i I don't think i've played neutral evil for the sake of neutral evil um i've definitely played characters who accidentally veered into neutral evil um because of you know some sort of like conflict of morality versus personal goal um but i've never like stayed in neutral evil for an intent uh an intended consequence you know it was always sort of something that i had to recover from Mm. how about you have you ever played neutral evil um i think only specifically in like video games where you're the only player oh well yeah so you you, you take the evil path (laughs) yeah 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 everyone's done evil runs (laughs) uh at the table i've definitely played characters that were very selfish or solely selfish as their motivation but only really in like a one shot um, and probably the most recent time would have been at Thrillicon 2 when I played Angelo. Right. And, you know, being Angelo, wholly selfish. Yeah. Well, only concerned with myself. Weren't perfect. <laughs> that's actually, that's a good point. I I 
don't really find much appeal in that like i'm just here for a paycheck kind of character because i feel like it's very one note Um, yeah like it it gets old after a while yeah like so yeah that's probably like i guess i have probably played that character in a one shot but never for any extended period because like if i don't find something more interesting than that i'm gonna get bored Mm -hmm. i think it could be interesting if everyone was neutral evil uh, but we're bonded to each other in some way. Oh, oh! Well, I was gonna, <laughs> you, you went a different direction from paranoia. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a game in which you are intentionally betraying people sounds like a lot of fun if it's got mechanics that support constantly betraying people. But yeah, if you're going to go long term, um, you're going to need to tie yourself to something. Yeah. To actually, you know, be invested in the game. Which I guess the dark side would maybe work. I've just never had much interest in like force so really i thought you were a star wars guy no nah, yeah but i that's the part of star wars that i hate <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm way more scum and villainy than i am uh <laughs> than i am force and destiny all right do you hear that ishan i think that's the sound of your character getting gutted by a lightsaber <laughs> by well, his son then it is definitely time to move on to the character creation forge but before we do that let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you you can tweet at shane at mundangerous that's m-u-n dangerous and you can tweet at ishan at evil sans carne that's malice minus meat and you can tweet at the show at tptcast you can also email us at totalpartythrill at gmail.com and you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrillcast.com we're also on facebook and instagram at totalpartythrill so, this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building Littlefinger. Shane, who is that? Because I have no idea. Littlefinger is Lord Peter Baelish of Game of Thrones or A Song of Ice and Fire. Which Wait, I w- is, that, is that the actor's name or the character's name? The character's name. name. Um, the, uh, I can't remember the actor's name. He's the guy who played Carcetti in The Wire. I don't know that either. Um, I, didn't, I didn't look it up. He... I don't know. His smile looks like the V for Vendetta mask. <laughs> That's how I most associate him. That's not important. That's terrifying. Anyway, so Littlefinger's thing is he's like a a lowborn merchant who ends up making a fortune running brothels and like trading on the secrets that he discovers about his clientele. Um, he ends up like rising to be uh, like on the small council of whatever the big city is i can't even remember anymore um but his kind of hallmark is that he uh betrays everyone he meets at some point um and then like turns around and then like makes an alliance and betrays that person too um so he always seems to have this like chess masterly sort of air about him that he's like always working on some arcane scheme and is just about to sell somebody out and can never be trusted but is very honest about the fact that you can never trust him so everybody is like oh i he's helpful right now so i know he's gonna betray me but uh, i'll make sure i i get out before the stock bottoms out is yeah what, okay yeah I, I mean that's like literally the whole first season <laughs> it's like uh oh king's landing that's the name of the city but um you know boromir gets to king's landing and is supposed to be like the good guy who helps clean it up and he uh trusts Littlefinger and Littlefinger sells him out. And he's like, In my defense, I told you not to trust me. <laughs> Is this um your character in uh Birthright? No, not at all. <laughs> I reject that. Not neutral evil, sir. Not even a little bit evil. 
Really? Yeah, he's a populist. The demagogue. What's evil about that? <laughs> it's all about what you use it for. All right. I think we all know Shane's alignment. So what's the build? The build is Mastermind 17, Oathbreaker Paladin 3. Wait, did you say Mastermind Rogue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not good. Yeah, but Littlefinger's not a good build either. So, like, <laughs> Littlefinger's kind of a crappy person. I mean, to be fair, Mastermind is built on the Rogue chassis, which is excellent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're still a Rogue, and that's like pretty much the sole value. You just don't get any cool abilities. <laughs> Strong abilities. Not till 17. 17's cool. So I'm actually happy we went this far into it. Right. Um, we've never gone this far into Mastermind. I think we've never gone past three we, in Mastermind. Yeah, we've constantly recommended against it. I hate Littlefinger. So here you go. Here we go. Okay. So 17 levels of Rogue gives you everything. Yeah. Expertise, damage mitigation, sneak attack, like all the stuff that you'd want from Rogue. You'll get more languages, more skills. You're great at going undercover with Master of Intrigue. Uh, Master of Tactics lets you use help as a bonus action from up to 30 feet away. Which feels about right because Littlefinger, like, is only ever good for putting the dagger in your heart after somebody else has done all the dirty work. Uh, You'll also get Insightful Manipulator at 9, which means if you spend a minute observing a creature, you learn stuff about them. Um, Potentially including a piece of the creature's history or one of its personality traits. So it's it's very good for that sense of like sizing up a customer, right? Like who's been in your brothel. I think I mean looking at that, that's a that's a really nice ability um story-wise. I th- I think we'd use it a lot more if it wasn't competing with um Swashbucklish Panache. Yeah, I mean that's the problem. <laughs> Uh, 13, you get Misdirection, which is flavorful, but it basically requires you to be using another creature as cover, which just doesn't come up. So anyway, um, it lets you direct an attack on that creature as a reaction. Um, so it, it kind of fits the flavor of Littlefinger because he, he seems to never have to answer for his crimes. He always has somebody who's like just a little bit more deserving of being the fall guy. So he continues to survive. I mean, they're always giving him plus two AC, basically. Right. And then your capstone, sold deceit. No one can read your mind. You can present false thoughts if they do try. And magic can't tell that you're lying. And then purely for flavor, we have three levels of Oathbreaker Paladin. Because Littlefinger has never met an oath that he was not willing to betray. <laughs> so it doesn't do much for your bill, but you do get first level spells and you get smite. Um, you also get the control undead and a fear effect as your channel divinity. Um, so it's a little something. I mean, I wouldn't sell first level smites short, you know, like you're using a rapier anyway. So stack it on your massive sneak attack damage, Yeah, you know, for a little extra. Um, I also like that the fear effect gives uh, anyone who fails disadvantage on... Um, ability checks so like, they're even easier to lie to or I don't know if you need to grapple them or something yeah so in terms of leveling order I think I would probably plot level this a little bit so probably starting rogue uh, that that makes sense with Littlefinger's kind of background um, he does eventually enter the court in the small council so I think at that point paladin does make a little bit of sense for him um, you'll definitely want to get that to level 2 um, and stop <laughs> so that at the appropriate time when you break a huge oath you can then 
take a level of Oathbreaker Paladin, and that becomes your order. Boom. Uh, and then finish out Rogue uh, at whatever level that happens. And people say that we don't tie these builds to story. <laughs> right. Emergent background. At some point, you'll screw somebody over. Yeah. Just don't submit the whole build at the beginning of the game. <laughs> All right, before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All right, so what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're continuing our series on campaign settings, and we're talking about rifts. And in the character creation forge? We're building the juicer. Well, that's it for episode 151 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.